It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Race fans, it's time to buckle in and listen to the fastest hour in racing radio. Your driver is a multi-time NASCAR winner and Hall of Famer Mark Martin. We cover racing, grassroots, history, we bench race, we talk life, and most importantly, we smash the loud pedal. It's time to turn some laps on the Mark Martin Podcast. Well, I'm really excited today to have my old friend Ray Dillon uh, and we're going to have the opportunity to kind of discuss some things that we may not have ever discussed uh, about our glory years together. And I want to start by kind of setting the stage, uh, and I'll go through it real quickly because I want to get to the good stuff. But in 1976, I raced the local dirt tracks in Arkansas. And in 1977, I made the jump to, uh, to pavement racing late model asphalt racing got my start and got my feet under me pretty good and by mid-season i uh, was uh was starting to venture off into uh the asa series and picking up some of those races and i wound up winning the asa rookie of the year for 77 so i set my sights on 1978 to really build my name i was going to go down to uh the, the new smyrna to the world series of asphalt racing try to try to win that championship and also try to win race for the asa national championship which really i never expected to be able to win um in 78 just getting my feet under me but we went to new smyrna we won the series based on not lightning speed but just consistency but wound up winning the title and then, uh, and and then in in the ASA series as well, we won that title, and and it was a pretty big deal because I was just 19 years old, and back then that was kind of young and unheard of. So my plans for 1979 were because the New Smyrna series was such a money loser, and since I'd already won that title and the ASA title, I wasn't going to race. New Smyrna in 79. I didn't really need to spend the money to go down there and do that. So I was going to go down to Speed Weeks anyway, keep my nose into everything. And uh, back then they had the Oval Track Trade Show, which is kind of like PR, PRI show is today. But they'd have that Oval Track Trade Show and uh, during Speed Weeks. And I was going to go and see what kind of deals I could, you know, get put together for more manufacturers support and uh, free parts kind of support. And so here it here's how it goes. I'm walking through the Overtrack trade show and I see a little booth with the uh, coil spring set up there and I see, see uh, a man standing there and I'm like, well, here, here we go. I'll go over here and see if I can get on a spring deal. 
And so I walk up and introduce myself, and it's Ray Dillon. We have a, a, a brief conversation about springs, and he says, yeah, and uh, if you need a trailer, I'll give you a trailer too. And if you need a shop, you can use a shop. And if you need a, a place to stay, there's a house next door to the shop, and I'll rent that to you for 150 bucks a month. The thought had never really crossed my mind of, of leaving Ar Arkansas, but uh, it was a pretty exciting uh, offer. And I just want to know, Ray, what you were thinking when I walked up there. <laughs> well, I had uh, been racing myself for like, I don't know, six or seven years. <clears throat> and I was dead set on building a coilover shock short track stock car. I was just, I just had a lot of ideas and I had uh, built some stuff that I was campaigning locally, but <clears throat> I worked for myself. I had at that time, I don't know, three or four employees and we were building trailers and building a few race cars and roll cage kits for the local guys. What I was looking for was I couldn't run a business and campaign a race car. It's just physically couldn't do it and couldn't afford to do it. And I saw the opportunity to put a young kid in one of my race cars and go out and set the world on fire and expand the business by, uh, you know, racers are kind of monkey see monkey do and, uh, whatever, whatever wins on Sunday sells on Monday. And, uh, so I guess that's what I was thinking, Mark. I thought, here's the opportunity. Well, that was, uh, that, that was really wild because I was, I had just turned 20 years old. And, uh, of course this was a really exciting opportunity for me. And if you, if anybody wants to go back and listen to the, the podcasts, uh, our podcast explaining 1977 and 1978, you'll, uh, you'll understand more about why I wanted to make the, make the move to Indiana uh, you know, one of the reasons was a blue, uh, three motors up in the haulers in, in the, in the tow truck going from Arkansas to Wisconsin and Indiana racing every weekend. So getting up there centrally located was part of the equation, but there was a lot more to it than that. So I was really excited. So we made the deal, Ray and I made the deal standing there in a trade show. And I went home from speed weeks and started packing up my stuff. And in March, I moved up there and, uh, you know, got ready to go to work. There was a there was a lot to all of that. It was a really exciting time. And we got moved into the house. Um, I took uh, two full-time employees. I think I took, uh, brought, of course, Banjo Grimm with me and I think David Levendahl. And we moved into that house and got set up there. And the, one of the things that really strikes me, Ray, is I'm going to say one more time, and then I'm not going to say it anymore, but I was 20 years old, and you handed me the keys to your shop. And those keys, that shop, I could walk into the parts room. I could get parts. I could get bolts out of the bolt bin. I could use any of the equipment in the shop. And, of course, I did it at night because we're work day and night, and so, you know, if I needed something at night, I could just unlock the shop and 
go in there and, and, and get what I needed. I mean, when I think back on that, I, once again, I think, Ray, what were you thinking? I was 20 years old and you didn't know me. I knew you enough that, uh, I, uh, wasn't worried about you running off with anything because we had too much, too much future together. And, uh, I guess when we put our deal together, it was like, we didn't even write anything down. We didn't have no lawyers, no accountants, no, no contract. We just, uh, you can't do stuff like that today. We did it because we both had, I guess, a vision of what we wanted to do and figured you needed a key to the place. Cause I didn't want to stay there till two o'clock in the morning. I live five miles away. I lived on the farm out in the country, and when, you know, six, seven o'clock coming around at night, I wanted to go home, and uh, <laughs> I wanted you to be able, I didn't want to hold you up, so the you having a key solved a whole bunch of problems. <laughs> Boy, it solved some problems for me, too. It was, uh, it was a really, really incredible time, so, um, so we're, you know, we get started in 79 of course i'm still uh running uh my how car and we get somewhere up into the summer and you've got your you've got your plan in your back of your mind uh short story uh, once again the entire stories in the 1978 pod for podcast but you hit me up let's go up to hartford and you drive this car that i that you had built uh, which was a coilover rack and pinion car. It was a, a, a Camaro front snout car, not a tubular snout, but it was it was your vision, the beginnings of, of, of your vision, and you wanted me to race it up at Hartford. And I work in the shop till last minute. I probably ain't ate anything all day. Then I jump in the truck and head up, we head off to Hartford. We run this car. An old thing runs pretty damn good. Uh, I'm pretty impressed with it. And uh, I ate all day. I ate about, I don't know, a couple of pounds of M&Ms. And then uh, we get in the tow truck to head home, and uh, we're drinking beer. So that's when you hit me. Let's build us, let's build us a car. That's, that's when, you know, it all started. And I, and, and I said, well... Okay, but you know, I want to use, I want to use the same geometry, same rear end, you know, three link suspension. I, I want to use things that I know and understand, and then, you know, you can bring in the tubular front snout, the straight right side frame rail, the uh, coilover shocks, rack and pinion, and we'll make all those changes. And make the car super, you know, the car will be super light, super strong. You know, we've got to get a surface plate to be able to do all that stuff. And we put it all together and come up with a plan. And we get home and I, I go into the house. And uh, there again, I ain't ate anything all day except a few pounds of M&M's. And uh, that beer hits me. And all I know is I wind up the next morning about five o'clock in the morning, uh, laying in the bathroom floor. So, <laughs> now, so I, I didn't a, know about that part. <laughs> I, I don't tell that story much, but yeah. So I had to clean up the bathroom before the boys got up 
and uh, and then go to work. And I didn't feel very good that that day. But uh, anyway, that's kind of the story on that and the the, the beginnings of the Dylan Mark II chassis. You know, it was just yeah, that was magic for you and me both. Um, it really, really built my confidence. And the thing I want to say, Ray, is you were a brilliant, brilliant person and such an asset to me uh, because you could, you knew how to build things. Like I, I would have idea, but you know, I wouldn't know how to turn it, turn some of those ideas into metal and you could do that. And the two of us really complimented one another in that way. You also helped build my confidence, uh, beyond belief as far as being a chassis guy. And so it was a tremendous asset to me to be, you know, by your side there for, for those three years. Well, I appreciate that. And it, uh, you know, and we did all that stuff, Mark, we didn't have any engineers helping us. Uh, we didn't have computers. I had a drafting board and I had taken mechanical drawing in high school. So I could lay a few things out on the old drafting board with a pencil and a T square. But, um, we did a lot of stuff together with strings, levels, protractors, you know, just lay stuff out on the cement floor and, uh, draw a bunch of lines till they intersect and take a string and tie it on and pull that string and see where it goes. And that, that's how we figured out a lot of the geometry and figured out what ratio spring are we going to need if we know that we're running a, let's say a 1200 pound conventional spring in the right front. And then we go to a coilover spring. Well, we figured out the relationship. How far was that spring going to move when the wheel moved an inch and just did some basic math and said, well, we need a 400 pounds instead of a 1200 pound. And, uh, you know, pretty simple stuff, you know, it's just farm boy stuff. Like you figure out how to, where to put the hinge on the barn door so the cows won't get out. You know, <laughs> we were doing it with race cars. Yeah, that was, uh, that way it was, it was such a crazy time. You are listening to the Mark Martin podcast on the accelerated podcast network. Mark Martin podcast, episode 49. Mark talking to Ray Dillon today. Ray brought Mark out to Indiana and the two's efforts combined for the very first all tube offset coilover race car. More from their conversation. Hey, I want to tell another story and, you know, these stories that I tell, uh, you may have perceived things differently than I perceive things. And I always say that when I tell stories, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they're absolute fact. They're the way I remember them. So one of the things that I remember was that I was going to need a trailer for 79. So when I got there and got moved into the house and got moved into the shop was it was time for that hey, what about that trailer? And you pointed to the steel rack. And you said, there's your trailer right there. And, <laughs> and so okay. Banjo and I had to build that trailer. Uh, but we it didn't cost us nothing, but a little bit of labor. But we built that trailer, and 
and we used that trailer, you know, all of 79, 80, and we used it in 81 as well, even to do our first five cup races uh, were off of that Dillon trailer. So that was, uh, that. that's kind of a cool story. I love the stories about the, the haulers and the, and the trailers and all that, but that was one tidbit about it. So uh, we get through 79 and in late 79, you guys are feverishly building fixtures and and the jig and fixtures and everything for this uh this first dylan mark ii chassis and we we debut it i think we maybe debut it at the snowball derby yeah it was yeah that was the debut and then and then uh we took it to new smyrna uh and if i remember correctly about the second night or so we got demolished tore all to pieces it may have been a few nights after that but that kind of ended our our speed weeks thing and we you know we were learning the new car uh, we get back uh you know and get started racing up there and in, in 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 the north there in the spring and we start picking up speed pretty quickly but if i remember correctly I ran, I ran, we ran like 38 races in 1980 with that, you know, with our cars. We built two cars, one for ArtGo and one for ASA with a little bit different body configuration on the two. And if I remember correctly, we ran like 38 races that year and we had fast time 33 times. I know it was frequent. That was pretty normal to have quick time. And a lot of times it was a new track record. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most of the time it was a new track record. Yeah, and you know the uh, the and the thing about that too is one of the things that really held us back early in the season was I was still on Firestones and Goodyear's, you know, were really uh, coming on strong, and I didn't realize how much better the Goodyear tires were. So we get to uh, we get to Milwaukee in about May. And we unload the car, and I'm on Firestones. Well, funny story about that. Before we go to Milwaukee, you know, back then tires cost 100 bucks a piece, and you know, I was getting, I was on a Firestone tire deal. That's why I'm still running them. And I didn't have any money back then. I just got all kinds of manufacturers' parts, and we operated solely off of the purse money. And so I got ready to go up there, and my dad knew that. You know, I needed to be buying tires, and I wasn't buying tires yet. And he gave me eight $100 bills. That's two sets of tires. And I had those things in my pocket. I, I, I went to bed the night before the track opened in the hotel, and I woke up the next morning, and I noticed that the door was open to my room. And I thought, oh, my God. And I looked up on the dresser, and my wallet was still there, and I was like, oh, my goodness. That was a, so I went, we left, I left there. I didn't think to look in the wallet, but left there and went to McDonald's and, uh, ordered breakfast. And when the breakfast came, I whipped out my wallet and that was empty. So I go to the racetrack. Nothing about that. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I go to the racetrack, you know, I have to give them the breakfast back and I go to the racetrack and 
we practice and we're not fast enough. When we, I sling lead, move, change springs, sling lead, move everything in that in that car. And practice is over now, and qualifying's up next, and I'm not fast enough. So put it on jack stands, and I put the chassis back exactly like we unloaded it when we left the shop. And I go over to Goodyear, carry four wheels over to Goodyear, and I have them mount up four stickers and roll them stickers over on and, and bolt them up on that car. And I roll, I ain't never made a lap on Goodyear's before in my life. And, or, you know, not, that's not true, but I'm, you know, I haven't in, in years. And then I roll out there to qualify, roll down the back stretch and go into three and she feels pretty good. So we lay a, lay down a track record and set on the pole for, for the Milwaukee race. Uh, first time rolling out on those, those good years. So I go ahead and buy another set on, on credit for the race. So we've got our two sets and we, we do win the race. Uh, from there in May, we really start picking up speed. Um, because now, you know, I've, I've jumped off the good years or off the firestones and, uh, we just continue to build, uh, momentum throughout the year. It's just, we just, uh, demolish the competition to the point where I'd like for you to tell, uh, tell the listeners who some of the, the big name customers that you, that you started getting after, after that. Well, all of a sudden, there was people calling or coming over to me at the racetrack, uh, looking for looking for a chassis. And well, Rusty was one of them. Uh, Dick Trickle, uh, Kenny Schrader, Don Gregory, uh, Bob Strait. I know there's a lot of. A lot of people that uh, I'm going to hurt their feelings by not remembering their name in, in this conversation, but uh, we ended up, uh, I had to add a couple employees at the shop and, and had to, uh, uh, some of the parts and pieces that were like a burnout, we were using enough of them that uh, I was able to go to a fab shop in South Bend and have stuff that we were doing one at a time on a little magnetic tracer burning machine. I was able to buy them 50 at a time and, uh, things just, just really, really took off. Yeah. Plus, you know, what about your Southern, your, all your Southern, uh, like, like your Butch Lindley's and oh, Neil yeah. Bonnets and yeah. Yeah. We got, um, from running things other than all pro other uh, than, ASA was doing all pro stuff and some of that NASCAR American challenge and, uh, uh, Butch, Butch won a lot of races in in my cars and Neil Bonnet, uh, become a dealer and, uh, sold a lot of, a lot of cars to the, to the Southern guys. And I know the following year when we were getting ready to go to Daytona for New Smyrna and the Oval Track Trade Show. We had a a board like a bulletin board right outside of my office in the main part of the shop, and we had <clears throat> if we had orders, we had them thumbtacked up to that bulletin board. And when we left to to go to New Smyrna, there was forty two cars on order 
just unbelievable. Wow. Wow. And uh, David Pearson. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. David come up to the shop and, and, you know, he was, he was up at the shop and the local newspaper, the South Bend Tribune come down to the shop and did a, did an article on, on him coming to the shop. And we, at that time, uh, at lunchtime, we'd go downtown to this restaurant called Mr. T's. And, uh, we were down there a couple days later having lunch and, uh, the guy that owned the place, Mr. T, he come over to me and he says, Hey, he says, was that David Pearson that was with you in here the other day? And I says, yeah, as a matter of fact, it was. And, uh, he says, well, doggone it. He says, next time you got somebody famous in here with you, let me know. And I said, well, <laughs> Mr. T, I'd like you to meet Neil Bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you sold. Uh, of course, Daryl Waltrip and uh, Dale Earnhardt, you know, the, the Mark II chassis as well, cars. And, you know, anybody, would you force Dick Trickle to buy one of your cars? You know, that's big. I mean, Dick had been racing that Bimco car for forever. And when we took it to, I mean, we we just took it to him so bad in 1980 that, everybody just threw their hands up and, and, and bought a car. And it was, you know, part, part of that deal was people would come to you and ask you for some tips on how to, what springs to run or how to set their car up or whatever. And I saw this several times and it really impressed me. You told them, you said, well, now if you had a Dylan car, I could help you, but the chassis that you got, I, I don't know much about yet. <laughs> within a few days, there was an order on the board with their name on it. And speaking about helping people, uh, you know, I, I got a hundred dollars cash in many of those cars you sold when they would take them home and finish them, they'd bring them back to, to the shop and I would do the setup on them. Um, and they would pay me a hundred bucks cash, which was, uh, was important, but I gave them, you know, like Bob straight was, uh, you know, and, and those guys were a great customer, had a great car. And, um, it, it, that was the year, you know, that I came up with the three spring setup for Winchester and those guys brought their, you know, so those guys brought their car and had me set it up before Winchester and set it up on the three springs. And not only did we go down there and sit on the pole and shatter the track record, but Bob sat on the outside pole on three springs as well. So I would do that all the time. I mean, I sat, uh, in fact, Dale Earnhardt had me come to his shop and do the chassis setup for his car. I think in about 83, it was 83 or 84 before he went to the Slinger Nationals. And he, you know, he paid me a hundred bucks cash and that was like gold to me. Um, so I would do chassis setups all the time for, for those cars. And it was just, it was a golden time for, for you and me both. Uh, you know, I was really happy. It was a real compliment to me to have so many people want to buy your cars and run your cars. And I was never threatened by any of those guys because 
always felt like my car was better than theirs anyway. My cars were always lighter than any of the customers because I worked harder. We put more hours in. We, you know, we cared more. We, we ground and sanded on those cars and polished and pushed and pulled on the bodies and made the cars lighter. My car always had more left side weight than any of the customer cars solely because we put more work into them. So, you know, that well, see, was, that uh, was all a benefit of you having a key to the shop. <laughs> it, absolutely. You, worked, you thrashed, you worked and you was, you was there half the night. I, I, you must've got by on three or four hours of sleep for about three years there because the <laughs> lights were always on in the at midnight, you know, you wasn't, you, you weren't <laughs> done yet. And the thing is the car, chassis that you got, when it come off of the jig, in fact, there was a time or two. There was one time one of your cars got wrecked. I don't remember where it was. And we pulled a chassis out of the, you know, it was for somebody else. I don't remember who it was, but we just give you that chassis because the, it didn't matter to, to me or my guys who it was for we just put out the best that we could and everybody got the same thing. And the difference was when you got yours, you took it across the parking lot to the building that you used over there and you rubbed on it. And most of the other guys just took it home and painted it and put wheels on it and went to the racetrack. It was the same piece. It's just, theirs had not been ground and sanded and polished. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, uh, we have so much success and we're, we're entering into the, to the fall part. And this is going to be a little bit of an interesting thing because, uh, you and I've never discussed really what took place the fall of 1980 and, and, and through 1981, uh, and our venture into NASCAR, uh, and then, and then you know, me packing up and moving out of there in November of 81. So we, you know, we start, we're, we're, we really con conquered, uh, ASA in the short track thing by, uh, late 1980. And, and, you know, I decide that I want to venture into NASCAR and I want to use the same kind of thing. I want to use the geometry that I know how to use uh, so we make a plan. I make a plan for, uh, uh, a Bush series car or Xfinity series car, uh, to do five super speedway races with, to get some super speedway experience and, uh, a cup car that will be solely for a short track and racing. And, and I'm going to try to do really good or maybe even steal a win, uh, coming right out of the gate. So we use, uh, you build the front snouts for both cars and we find somebody down South, uh, to put the cage and the rest of the frame together and hang the bodies so that they would be legal for NASCAR. Cause all that stuff is kind of green to us. I have, my deal is still, I don't have any real money. I operate off the winnings. So my deal with you uh, for 1980 was you build, you build the, the car and, and, and the parts and I take it and race it. I put the motor in it, transmission and, and, and I take it and I race it and I give it back to you. 
in one piece, just like I got it from you in one piece. And so we had two cars like that. And that way I didn't have to invest any money into the vehicles themselves. And I could put my money toward going fast, going faster. And so, uh, that was the deal. So, so I made the deal, uh, with you to furnish the Bush car. And I found a guy named Bud Reeder from Denver, Colorado, that would pay for the assembling of the cup car. And so these are the things I remember you, you, you know, being involved in it. And so that was a big expense for you to, uh, to be in, in, I'm not even sure why for sure you were interested in helping with that, but my plan for 81 was to do uh, one ARCA race with that car, five, uh, five Bush races, five cup races. And then all the rest of the time I was running short track races, ASA and ARC go and still kicking butt and winning races. So I had a real full schedule and there, I want to let you talk a little bit about what you were thinking, uh, and, and what we did. I will say this, the second race out of the gate with that car that, that you furnished me got totaled and so let's hear what your thoughts on all that were well the uh it was it was you that was really set on going big time racing i was content uh being i guess a big fish in a small pond business wise you know we were I think we were up to, we had like 17 employees by then and we're just cranking out trailers and, and short track race cars and selling springs and selling component parts and, and, uh, life was good. And you wanted to do that NASCAR stuff and, uh, well, what the heck, it's a natural step, you know? And so I thought, well, yeah, that's a feasible deal. And, if I'm going to get the car back, it'll be famous when I get it back. And so I can sell it for a bunch of money and I can buy myself a new bass boat or something. <laughs> now, you know, there's, you can always follow the money if you want the answer to why something happened, you know, but, um, uh, so it, and besides that, it was, it was a challenge, shall we say, to try to figure that out because that you couldn't use rack and pinion or coil over shocks. And, um, so that's when we really had to go to work with the strings and the protractors to try to try to figure some stuff out because you and I both had a pretty good idea what we wanted those front wheels to do when you turned the steering wheel and when you went in the corner and the car rolled over and, and we couldn't use the rack and pinion steering that we were accustomed to. We couldn't use the coil over shocks. So we had to figure out how to do it with conventional steering. And then there was also at that time, a lot of the cars on the NASCAR circuit were a rear steer. You know, they were a Ford strut suspension. You know, we were geared for front steer. And so we had to go through the, you know, the Pittman arm, idler arm, drag link. Uh, where do you put stuff at to get it to do this and do that? And, uh, it was, uh, I could see it's going to be fun to figure all this stuff out. But, uh, so I guess, 
I guess that's that's why I decided to get involved. And it was uh, it was going to all work out as planned, except the second race was Rockingham, and we go down there and sit on the pole. And but in the race, the right front tire blows out, and it demolishes the car, and it's a total loss. And so that is a big setback for you and me both. Yeah, uh, but it, uh, if you're involved in in racing, you know that uh, you're gonna you're gonna lose some equipment sooner or later. And uh, I, I remember when when that happened, and we were you know extremely devastated. But it like it's just a racing thing. I didn't like you know who are we gonna blame? You know you don't sue somebody. You just <laughs> You know, you just build another car, lick your wounds, and and go on. And it was uh, it was in the race season, so we weren't going to be able to build another car. And I had my plan; I was going to stick to my plan. So I managed to uh, to buy a, a car from Rick Wilson um, to be able to run the the other three Bush races that I had scheduled and the ARCA race at Talladega. And we had uh, had a lot of success with that. But that brings me to the cup car. And we get that cup car all finished off. I take it to South Bend to test, uh, South Bend Speedway, uh, to test a couple times. And it sure seems to me like the thing falls off the tires pretty bad. But uh, who knows? I didn't know much about a 3,700-pound car. I'd never been in the in the pits of a of a cup race before garage or anywhere else never been around it so so i didn't know we go to north wilkesboro with it the first time out of the gate and i think we qualified like sixth and then we take it to nashville um i think I qualified about fifth or something but we blew the motor up on the first lap but it didn't matter i knew that we were in trouble as far as the race went. So I knew we needed to make some changes on the car. So called up our buddy, Randy Sweet and talked to him about, let's cut this, you know, front end geometry up and make some changes to it. We made those changes and we went down to Nashville, the next race and set her on the pole. Uh, And a long story short, that car hauled butt we went to richmond and sat on the pole and finished seventh and then we took it to martinsville and led the race for 40 laps or so and ran third and that is with an open trailer open dylan trailer and uh an asa pit crew nobody no nascar nothing nobody from nascar even giving us any advice we were just doing our own little thing you so know, we, what was what, what I remember about that second trip to Nashville and sitting on the pole, I was with you at that race. A lot of them other races, especially the the Bush stuff, I didn't go on that. That was too far away, and I had ASA cars to build. But I went with you to Nashville when you sat on the pole, and what I remember about that was Ned Jarrett come over and he said, hey, he says, I need you when, when uh, I forgot what the heck was going on. He says, I need you to come over to the start-finish line in about 10 minutes. He says, I'm going to present the pole award, which is a case of Bush beer. 
And he says, I need need you to come over and accept that because you're the only one on the crew that's over 21. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of kids. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of kids. And And then I overheard some comments uh after i got the case of beer was walking out with it i overheard some comments above among some of the important dignitaries that were there and it was something to the effect of i don't know how them plow jockeys got that done (laughs) (laughs) you know we definitely definitely weren't southerners (laughs) no we weren't and uh there's a lot of uh there's a lot of good info on the 1981 uh, podcast, uh, you know, telling about uh, technical inspection for for that car and a lot of other things and technical, a lot of technical data about that car and how much lead was in it and all that stuff. So uh, you can go back, people can go back and listen to those and they're very interesting. From travel to NASCAR to Gucci Mane, we cover it all on the Mark Martin Podcast. So we had huge, huge success together to this point. It's been absolutely like straight, a straight shot to the moon. And uh, for you, for you and I both in our, our careers and what we were doing. And so uh, my plan at this point in time now is to go full-time cup racing uh, in 1982 you know, I've got, by this time, I've got three full-time employees and, uh, and I feel a lot, lot of loyalty to those guys and to you and to Ron Neal at Prototype Racing Engines, because without Ron Neal, um, I did all those, all those races. I did one ARCA race, five bush races, five cup races, a bunch of art go ASA and Southern races like all pro all different engines different cubic inch engines different kind of stuff and i never got one bill for engines for the whole season and if it weren't for him you know this that program wouldn't have worked as either just like if it weren't for you that program wouldn't have happened period so you know i've got a lot of loyalty and so i'm i'm working in the shop and the phone rings. It's uh, one of them slim line phones that hangs on uh, on a pole barn pole back there at the back of the car. And I remember just like it was yesterday, I answered the phone, said hello, and is Mark. This is Waddell Wilson. I'd like to know if you'd be interested in driving the 28 car next year. And I didn't even, I never even checked up. I took a breath and I said, no, Waddell, uh, I think I'd rather do my own deal. Do you know how <laughs> profound that, I mean, at the time I didn't think about it, but that was profound. I mean, I, there was a chance I could have been in the 28 car for the Daytona 500 in 1982, the fastest freaking car ever at Daytona and Talladega. And this is the craziest thing, but my first thought was, dude, I've got three full-time employees. I got Ray Dillon. I got Ron Neal. I got all these people that have helped me get here. And I, you know, I, I have a loyalty. I can't do that. 
And that was, that was my feeling. Um, after I made the move, I, I really thought back on it and I, I felt like that, you know, there was some bitterness on your side about my, you know, leaving and going NASCAR racing. And I'd like to know, you know, what your feelings were on it and where that all went. Well, I guess <clears throat> keep in mind that was what 40, 42 or 43 years ago, you know, yeah. and if, if there was any bitterness on my part, it, uh, I should not have shown it because it was a natural thing. I mean, that was when we met at the trade show in Daytona, I knew that was your direction. And, uh, I was, uh, fortunate to go along for the ride in the meantime. And when it was time for me to get off the ride and for you to go on, that's the way it needed to be. And like I say, we never had any contracts or agreements. Um, I would say that, uh, anything I might've displayed was, uh, disappointment. You know, I was, I was disappointed that you were going. Yeah, that was a, it was a tough thing, right? It was, it was, it was a really tough deal. And, and I get that. Um, and as the, as the record shows, um, you know, I went, I went down there and, and did that thing and, uh, got, uh, knocked completely to my knees, losing everything, having to have an auction and selling everything that I own to pay off all my debt, you know, to, to kind of round out this story, I wind back up. Of course, I had to reestablish my career. So I come back up North and in 1985, uh, I'm back at Ray Dillon's picking up a, a Mark II chassis. And, yeah. you know, we're back together again. And we actually win a bunch of races and things in 1985. And by the way, in 1986, we win another ASA championship together. So there was a, there was a rough time there from the end of 81 to, uh, you know, to somewhere, you know, maybe in 84 and then, and then things turn out for the, for the best again. So, um, that's kind of a part of the history. And we did that with a Ford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you talk about some adapting. <laughs> hey, Never uh, in my life thought I'd be working on a Ford. <laughs> well, you know, I knew that I could get a little bit of support from Ford in 1984 after I went back to short track racing because of my contacts that I'd made from NASCAR. And so I knew I could get, get some help. So like, I didn't know nothing either. So I called up Ron Neal because, you know, he's going to do the engines and I'm like, Hey, uh, what do you think about a Ford? He says, well, it's only iron, you know? So once he started, you know, it's like, I, ain't no problem. I don't build them, but I'll start building them. You know, it's just, it's just iron. I can do it. So, so yeah. So we, we do the, the Ford thing, which was fairly, fairly well unheard of in, in, in the circles that we ran. The Mark Martin podcast is a production of the accelerated podcast network.
want you to tell the story about your endeavor uh, with the with the green weenie because that uh, that's a very historical car and uh, you you whipped my ass with that car at the Minnesota State Fair when I thought I had that the the race won so talk about uh, about that <laughs> well that all started actually when your car got demolished at New Smyrna. We were scheduled to, when speed weeks were over, we were scheduled to go over to Smoky Unix garage and put a Buick V6 in that car to do some testing. You remember that? No, I, that's so cool that you tell it. No, I, I, I don't remember that. Okay, well, what we ended up doing is we called Big Ron that worked for me at the shop, and we had your ASA car was pretty well complete back at the shop. Big Ron loaded that up on a trailer and brought it to New Smyrna, and we went over to Smokey's garage, put a Buick V6 in that car, and then on Monday or Tuesday after speed weeks were over, went back to New Smyrna, and I don't know, you run like 100 laps or whatever with that V6 engine. That coming back to you? Yeah, yeah, that's a vague memory now that you now that you mention it. I've, I had <laughs> okay, forgotten well, all about that. Yeah, that's how the V6 deal got started, and because ASA was thinking about maybe starting to run V6s in the near future. So anyhow, when the way the green weenie come about was uh, Billy Owl from Chevrolet called me up one day. Wanted to know if I would be interested in building a Chevrolet Cavalier and putting a V6 motor in it to run a few selected ASA races. So that's how we built that car. And originally it was, uh, oh, there was all kinds of deals going on that. Poncho Carter drove it once. I think the first, first driver for it was Waltrip. Because ASA used to would have, uh, for a particular race that they needed a little help selling tickets, they'd make a deal to bring a, a NASCAR hero in to race. And most of those guys didn't have a car that was competitive in ASA. So I had a, shall we call it a rent-a-racer program? And uh, Waltrip drove it. Poncho Carter drove it. I can't remember who all else. And uh, Butch Lindley was interested in it and we were going to the minnesota state fair neil larson i think was the promoter's name up there him and rex robbins come up with this deal of uh of let's uh let's put butch lindy in that car because they raced two weekends up there and then there was a race like on wednesday or thursday night at lacrosse wisconsin and right. so they cut me a deal bring that car up there and and uh, Butch will drive it, and you and Butch split the money, and we'll get you a motel room, and we'll get you some Goodyear tires, and we'll get you some Union fuel, and Amsoil will give you a bunch of grease and oil. And so, uh, like I say, follow the money. You know, I always <laughs> go for that stuff. And so that's how we ended up at the Minnesota State Fair. And to run that V6 motor, we got a 450-pound weight break. And at the Minnesota State Fair, they only run that track once a year at that time. 
And so the track would just eat tires. You know, there was no rubber in it. Right. And that, that little V6, man, it would, it would be in 450 pounds light. And Butch was a pretty smooth driver, you know. And, he was incredible. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. And uh, he would, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't fast. Like, we didn't qualify good. But whatever qualifying speed was, it had run that same speed all day long on the same set of tires. And guys like you with the more horsepower with the V8 and wanting to get going, about 10 laps, man, your tires were, I mean, it wasn't like they were shredded or the rubber was gone. It was just cooked. They just quit. And here come Butch. And yeah. I, I remember, oh, golly, um, I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, they were pitted next to us. He c- called in on his radio to his guy and said, how many of them green son of a bitches are out here? <laughs> I said, just one. And he says, that can't be. I just got past the third time. <laughs> so we, we ended up winning the, the 300 by, uh, by three laps over the second place car. And it, it was just really cool. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee it was cool. Yeah, it was really, really, really a spanking for sure. Um, I also remember you know, we were experimenting with a experimental rear suspension. We had that A-frame thing with the fifth coil spring and all that on the rear yeah. of it. And we had it working really good. I mean, we, you know, we were... We were second in class, I felt like. Uh, well, you, you, you broke a motor put you, or something. Motor or transmission, something broke and put you out of the race. Yeah, yeah. It, it put us out of the race, but we were still getting our, our asses whipped by, by, by you. But we, we were second in class for sure. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, but, what was uh, another, another angle to that is I didn't have any pit stop equipment, and I was using your equipment. And your crew, and the deal was, you would come in and make a pit stop, and then when you were back out on the track, then Butch would come in, and we'd put his tires on. After after whatever it was broke, it was like, oh, probably wasn't it was it was less than halfway into the race or somewhere around midpoint. Anyhow, when your car was out, your guys start taking the, putting all the pit equipment away. <laughs> I said, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, guys. That ain't the deal. <laughs> they were not happy. Yeah. God. Anyhow, we got it all worked out and they changed Butch's tires one more time. And then we were all friends again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, Ray, uh, it's the, the time that we spent, doing that is absolutely golden most pivotal point in my career were the three years that i spent in north liberty um and you were a huge part of me uh going from a kid in arkansas that knew a little bit about racing to you know uh, being on top of the sport 
And those three years were incredible to me and mean the world to me. And all I can say is, is that I look back on those days as some of the most uh, proud uh, times of my life. And all I can say is I love you, brother. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I've told lots of people that if Mark and I had never gotten together, I'm sure Mark would have ended up being a famous Winston Cup driver, but I would have not ended up being a famous race car builder. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I never worked with with anybody in my entire career that had uh, a more that, that that could figure out how to do it any more than than you ray and i worked with a lot of engineers with a lot of uh engineering background and and some of the greatest people in 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 motorsports history but and and you were uh, you know what they what those guys said at nashville when they said i don't know how them farmers did that that's about right you a lot of your engineering was farmer engineering but it was it was a way to accomplishment. You knew how to accomplish the things that we needed to make and, and the mechanical way to make those things work. That was just so key in, in my development from 79 to, uh, to 1982. And I just, uh, you know, I want everybody to know everybody that listens and I want you to know how important you were in, in, in my development. Well, you know, my dad always told me the definition of horse sense is stable thinking. <laughs> yep, I, that's good stuff, buddy. Yeah. Good stuff. Man, this has been so much fun. Um, I think this is just, just gold, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to share with us. All right, all right. I thank you for thinking of me. Appreciate it. <laughs>